Hello and welcome to the film room, everyone. On this episode, we are recording Friday the 13th, part two, 1981. And on this episode, I have a brand new guest, never been on the pod before, a buddy of mine, actually a coworker of mine, Rob. How you doing, bud? Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been waiting all day to say that. That. <laughs> that reminds me of Art Bell. Uh, I think I've told you about him. That's what people yeah. say all the time. But yeah, so the reason why I'm having Rob guest on this on this episode is that, you know, getting to know him over the last year and a half or so, being at the same job and hanging out, he's a horror movie fan. And he told me that Friday the 13th is probably his favorite franchise. Am I right? You're right. That's true. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of interested in like, when's the first time you ever watched, maybe not just like this Friday the 13th part two, but like the first time you ever watched a Friday the 13th film, how old were you? Gosh, I have, I had to be about 10 years old, I guess. I mean, I might've snuck one in there earlier than that without my parents knowing, but I think, you know, I think it was Jason lives, which I guess would be considered part six was the first one that I had watched. And so I guess I would be 10 years old at the time. And I just fell in love with the whole thing. I, You know what I fell in love with was the mask, the hockey mask. Oh, yeah. That did it for me. And then after that, you know, I, I went backwards and I watched all the other ones that came before that and just, again, fell in love with the whole franchise. It's great. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like when I talk to people that, you know, are getting into these franchises, like they've always ended up watching them when they're like super young. So, yeah, I stumbled across it on AMC when I was like 12 years old. My parents didn't know I was watching it or something along those lines. But, dude, Jason Lives Part 6, that's a great one to be introduced to because I think that's a solid film. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, uh, you know, to comment on the hockey mask, you know, I'm trying after watching this part, too, again, to to kind of refresh myself because it's been so long. You know, I'm trying to rewind and go back to that point in time when that film was made. Was it 1982? The part two was it 1981 81 okay so i'm three years old at that point i'm trying to imagine watching that for the first time when it was released and not knowing anything about the hockey mask i mean the hockey mask hadn't been introduced at that point right right so going backwards i guess my point is you know going backwards watching the you know part six the first and then going backwards was they got less and less scary for me <laughs> when that mask disappeared. And then, you know, you go back to the first one, his mom's doing all the slashing and it just was almost comical to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's a really good, that's a really good point because I feel like, I think this one might've been the first one I've ever watched. Cause I I've mentioned on this podcast a million times that mm-hmm. I basically got all my Halloween movies and all my Friday 13th from AMC fear fest when I was younger, you know, I'd get home from school, get my little snack and, these movies would be playing nonstop through the month of October. Right. And I think part two was the first one I ever watched. Okay. Uh, if not, it was the final chapter and like the final chapter in part two are for my favorite Friday the 13th. But I'm, I'm curious because, you know, I Keller and I, we, we uh, reviewed um, the original Friday the 13th last January. And uh, I was asking him cause he, he, he never watched horror movies or anything. So he was kind of surprised that Jason, wasn't in that film i guess the jason that we know with the hockey mask and yeah being the killer when you first watched you know kind of going backwards and watching friday 13th the original for the first time were you kind of expecting jason or were you surprised that it was his mother who was the killer yeah i mean i was definitely surprised 
but at the same time, I guess I wasn't because I knew the backstory of how he drowned as a kid and, you know, all that. And you rewind that far back, you know, I guess, you know, you're not going to have a little kid murdering all his, you know, camp counselors. But so I guess it made sense. But yeah, I was a little disappointed, not disappointed, but just surprised. And again, like I said earlier, it just didn't have the same uh, effect on me, you know, in terms of like the scare factor, you know? Yeah, I totally get And it was kind of a more like, who done it which i do you know not not to get too much into the film right now but yeah. this one also kind of has that same feel i mean think about the audience members back in 81 watching this having just watched the original where that was kind of a who done it you don't know who's doing it throughout most of this film until the last what i don't know maybe half an hour of it you don't even know who the killer is yeah i mean i guess you wouldn't even know until the the burlap sack or when he's unmasked or whatever i mean you could probably have a good, pretty good idea they talked about jason the entire time but yeah that's a that's a really good point yeah i mean for us like like i said it's it's all implied implied that it's him because we've seen all the rest of the franchise and how it all plays out but yeah seeing it for the first time back in 1981 that's what i'm saying i wonder how different this movie would be for me not even knowing that the the mask didn't even exist at that point you know right yeah that that's a good point well Dude, I'm super excited to get into this film uh, with you and review it and, and tear it apart and and look at all the all the different angles that it has. But uh, before we uh, get to uh, one of our first sections here, uh, why don't you uh, why don't we give like a a brief like overall thoughts like what just kind of like quick just overall thoughts on the film like did you like it did you not like it or just like, I know we kind of went into it a little bit, but do you have have anything to expand on from there? I mean, yeah, if I had to sum it up. Yeah. I liked it. It's good slasher. I mean, it's quick paced. I like the pace of it. It moves right along. People start dying, you know, within the first half hour. Um, Yeah. I mean it again, I, I I was trying to break out of that uh, mentality where, I'm expecting Jason with the mask. And I hate to beat a dead horse and keep talking about that, but that's a, that was a real challenge for me to watch this movie um, without that. Right. And consider it the, the same thing as the others that where he's wearing it, you know? And, um, and I guess I don't know what that means exactly. I just, it didn't have the same effect on me. I guess the, you know, the bag over the head, that's a little terrifying. You know, when you think about a guy chasing you through the woods with a machete and a bag over his head. <laughs> that's scary enough it doesn't need to be a hockey mask um, but again it's that iconic that symbolic um, face in the hockey mask that does it for me with this franchise so I guess it was a little lacking for me because of that but as far as everything else goes um, the jump scares and the the chasing the suspense through the woods and the dark and all that stuff yeah it all played out nicely for me I liked it yeah I honestly I agree with you know about 90% of the of, of your uh, overall thoughts there i i love this film i revisit it um quite a bit uh i don't know if i would say i watch it on an annual basis but i i probably watch it every two or three years okay. or so when i was a kid i watched it all the time because it it really did scare me and the the i honestly love the burlap sack like i just feel like there's something so terrifying about it it's a bit of a ripoff from the movie the town that dreaded sundown but uh i guess the difference is that you know he had two eye holes and Jason only had one eye hole. And there's something about the one eye hole that just <laughs> freaked me out. And like what, what compelled him to put the, the pillowcase over his head? Like, I don't know. It was just kind of, kind of crazy, but. Well, then um, well, they show his face later on. Right. And I guess we'll talk, yeah. we'll get into that, but I guess that would be a reason enough to put a bag over your head. No matter who you are. <laughs> I know. Like but 
geez, is more terrifying without the mask. I mean, you yeah. can say the same thing about the hockey mask. Like more terrifying with the with the uh, with the mask off, but just being so like deformed and everything. But yeah, yeah, dude. yeah. Okay, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I don't want to jump ahead, Matt, but I just I wanted to comment on that that last scene where that he does. It's in slow motion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We will def- <laughs> we'll definitely get into that. But yeah, totally agree with your with your takes there. I I love this film. I think it holds up as a as a sequel to Friday the 13th and obviously 1981 uh, we're starting to get into that huge slasher era where the body count has to be punched up. The kills have to be deadlier and yeah. more brutal. So um, a lot of slasher tropes, a lot of cliches in this film, but still I just think it's a solid film overall. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. A lot of expected stuff in there, but you know, there's a few surprises too. Yep. All right. Well, uh, do, do you want to talk about any like recently seen films? That's kind of a section we have on this podcast, uh, like maybe horror wise that you watch besides the, the film that we're reviewing, anything that you've seen in the month of October worth mentioning? Yeah. I mean, we, and I think I might've mentioned this to you in passing at work the other day, but um, actually my daughters are, are starting to really uh, jump into the horror movie scene, mainly because they see me enjoying it and watching them. And so right. they'll, you know, they'll peek around the corner, they'll catch a glimpse, then they'll get sucked in. And next thing you know, they're sitting next to me watching the movie, which is great. But, it, you know, I'm also trying to monitor that and, you know, make sure that they're not seeing something maybe they shouldn't at their age. Right. But um, we did watch uh, that movie, Ouija, Origins of Evil. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the only other movie that I've watched this month. Um, but that one, you know, it doesn't really relate to the Friday the 13th series at all, but um, it, it was a scare. I mean, it was a good, you know, it wasn't a slasher film, anything like that, more paranormal driven. Right. Which is always fun, but, but yeah, that's it for me this month so far. Yeah. I, uh, that's great. Honestly. Yeah. I, I think I told you that I still need to, to watch those uh, Ouija films. I'm, I, I do watch paranormal films, but I, uh, they're not my, my favorite ones I would say, but I still watch like those conjuring and the insidious ones. I just, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're down on the, on the list of, of movies I still need to watch. But as far as this month, you know, I've been so busy with the podcast that, well, I mean, this episode is going to come out before the Halloween two one, but Keller and I, we just watched a uh, Halloween two 1981 and uh, recorded the episode. And that should be coming out probably a week after this one. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, ladies and gentlemen for for that one and make sure you you tune in but uh like other than that i i watched saw two on a (laughs) on on a plane on a plane ride back that was a wild ride and uh yeah the collector about a month ago which was pretty good and that's another episode keller and i um uh did a podcast on and published and but yeah probably a couple weeks ago now but uh yeah other than that i've kind of been just like i've been so busy with everything and I've been just just knowing my schedule with like the movies that I'm going to have to watch for the podcast. I've kind of just been like waiting. So I'm not like all movied out, you know, yeah. by the end of the month. Yeah, you got to spread it out. But you got your work cut out for you for sure. And you're way ahead of me in that department. I mean, I just <laughs> I'm the same. You know, whenever I get a free moment, it's hard to slip in a movie, you know. Um, but when I do, I, I, I try every chance I get. That's for sure. Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, I did briefly mention this to you, but. It's a tradition on the Film Room podcast. I have to ask, Rob, what the hell are we drinking? What the hell? Oh, I don't even know what to call this drink, but I'll tell you what it is. It's um, it's a tamarind vodka. 
which has a, a, a nice heat to it. And it's a peach schnapps with some orange bitters. And I top it off with some ginger beer. Ooh, dude, you are drinking. I can hear oh. the, the, the ice clanking in your glass. I love it. It sounds you hear fancy. that? And it's all in a Moscow mule mug. Oh, man, I'm kind of jealous. It's my favorite. It's it's the drink of the month for me. How about you? What's in your cup? Yeah, that sounds really good. I am uh, drinking a uh, on the rocks um, screwball peanut butter whiskey right now. Oh yeah, that's dessert. That's candy. It is. It is dessert. It's candy. I'm uh, already halfway through my glass. I need to slow down a little bit so I'm not slurring my words. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a little hard to slow down on that stuff. It's tasty. I know. It's just. It's super tasty. So got that and then i'll probably switch on over once i finish that i probably should just switch on over to my Lacroix instead of grabbing another drink or something <laughs> well i'll let you pace yourself i'm gonna pace myself if i start slurring just tell me to slow down <laughs> yep I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple knocks on the on the coffee table here <laughs> secret code <laughs> all right man well uh let's get into this let's dig into this film uh first thing i do here is i'm gonna give a quick uh synopsis of the film so uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 came out in 1981. It is the second entry in a long-running horror series focusing on a group of teenage would-be counselors converging on Camp Crystal Lake for training under, under the tutelage of head counselor Paul, played by John Fury. Inevitably, Paul relates the story of Jason Voorhees, a boy who, who drowned at the camp and whose mother mur- murdered a group of counselors in revenge, no one takes the tale seriously until a very much alive Jason begins gruesomely eliminating people. Sorry, I was all choppy there because my kid's throwing like blocks on the ground upstairs. <laughs> uh, that's a, I don't think I've heard that uh, synopsis of this. I was pretty like, that's pretty thorough. Yeah. That's pretty articulate, <laughs> I thought. But, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a synopsis of the, of the film. And, you know, we kind of briefly mentioned it before that we're kind of talking about some of the themes and symbolism that's that's in the film. But obviously, like I said, it's the early 80s. We're kind of just just getting into that slasher craze um, throughout the next decade where you know, some of these films kind of have a lot of this copy and paste type template that's that's being used. But this this was one of the juggernauts. This is one of the heavyweights, you know, up there with Halloween and and A Nightmare on Elm Street where. It was so well known that you're not gonna you're not gonna blame this or you're not gonna accuse this this film of copying another. It's just it's part of that storied Friday the Thirteenth franchise that you and I have talked about. You know, we love so much. Right, and you know, no matter how it how templatized it might be in terms of you know comparing to other slasher films, it's for me in that genre. It's all about who's that who's doing the slashing who's that character that iconic character right and they all have them right and this is mm-hmm. what we get with with friday the 13th and, and being in the woods at the camp crystal lake it's jason that's it doesn't get any better than that you know michael myers for me is a, is a very close second but jason jason wins it by a nose for me yeah that's interesting i feel like a lot of people are kind of like that where they have michael or jason as their their number one slasher and for me it's I mean, I've talked about it. Michael Myers is number one for me, but Jason's such a close number two. Um, growing up, being terrified of of uh, Jason Voorhees and and all that lore that comes with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, it it always gave you that weird feeling going to going to the lake or or yeah. a summer camp. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think he hit the nail on the head with that because that's what might have done it for me in terms of making him a little more terrifying than a guy, you know, like Michael Myers that runs around a hospital or hides in the bushes on Halloween night. You know, for me, it was, I grew up in Montana doing a lot of camping and fishing and hunting, spent a lot of time in the mountains and the woods. And for me, it just felt very like close to home and real. Like every time I was out there, it, I was thinking about that once that sun went down, you know, <laughs> and that, yeah. that makes it a little more real, which in turn makes it a lot more terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's, it's iconic and you can't help but to think that when you're sitting around a fire in the, in the middle of the woods, just like, Oh, is there a dude out here at the hockey mask? You know, <laughs> like yeah, Always turning around and making sure. <laughs> yeah. You just never know. No, nope. but yeah. So we'll get into a little bit of background on the film here. So <laughs> this was uh, directed by Steve minor. Uh, Steve minor is well known. He's directed. Uh, I, I want to say he directed the first film or maybe it was Sean S Cunningham. Oh, he was an associate producer and assistant director on the first one. But uh, either way, Steve Miner uh, just has a great resume for, for his career because he did this. And then he did Halloween uh, H2O where Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis uh, returns. And um, so, yeah, he, he I thought he did a great job with this. So he also produced uh, this film. And then uh, I don't know if this if you recognize this name or not, but Harry Manfredini. Uh, he basically did like all of the music for like the entire franchise. Oh, and, really? That was one guy, huh? Yeah, it was like one guy, and that's why, like, I mean, he he reused a lot of the same music and sounds, but I think that's why you get that consistency throughout all the films. And I just, I don't know, like, like we we were talking about this off mic a little bit, where you know the kiki ki ma ma ma, and then also just like the the background music and the violins that he uses. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to hear that, you're like, yeah, that's from Friday the Thirteenth no other film comes to mind. Yeah, no question. No question at all. Where what does that come from? I mean, that's a do we know that the the, the kiki ki mama ma? Yeah, where does that come from? What So, if it's like it's so it's sped up, but if you like it's it's someone saying uh kill 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 mama ma or like kill for me mommy is basically what it is, but it's just sped up. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I never knew that. Yeah, so that that that's where that came. and a lot of people get it confused with the chi 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 cha 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 or or whatever. Like they, there's so many different ways people say it, but yeah, yeah it's uh, the kiki ki ma ma ma, which is a Patreon level on uh, the film room Patreon page. All right, I got you. I like it. Yeah, so I'm learning. Um, this film did not do well critic wise. It had a 29 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, no kidding, that was honestly pretty fair for a lot of slasher films. Like the critics. It was such a saturated market. So I think they were just kind of like sick of it. And, you know, they probably looked at it as being very templated. And you got to think about like these other films like The Godfather and some of these dramas that were coming out where, you know, they probably I mean, obviously, those are held in higher praise. But um, yeah, 20, 29 percent in Rotten Tomatoes. And maybe it's because it just kind of seemed like the same movie over again. But I don't I don't really it's hard for me to like really take too much from that. Like these are more entertainment factor type movies. You know, I'm not looking for an Oscar worthy type film. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, um, either way, 29% Rotten Tomatoes might, might not have done well critic wise, but this movie made money. It had a $1.25 million budget and it made $21.7 million in the box office. That's insane. That is nuts. Wow. So, like I've mentioned in other episodes, 
Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, all these juggernaut heavyweight uh, horror franchises, they're what I consider cash cows. You put a little bit of money in and you are always going to make your return unless you completely botch it. But you're putting seats, you're putting butts in those seats in the theaters and people really wanted to see these, obviously. So, I mean, that's that's a crazy amount of money that, um, I mean, 1.25 million, that's a lot of money now. But back then, I mean, that was still a shit ton of money. But to make a what, what even is that? Like a 20, 20 times return? Yeah, I don't know that they saw that coming. I don't think so. And then it's like, why not make more films? You keep making money off of them, you know? Yep. And so, they did. And they did. Yeah, they did. And they, they I mean, shit, they, they're still doing it. I mean, they, they're a little bit of news on, on the Friday 13th front, but uh, Peacock got the rights to uh, Friday 13th. And uh, it's kind of out of that, what I would consider purgatory, where they were in that lawsuit for so long about the rights. And that's why we haven't seen a film since 2009. But now they're going to have a TV show on Peacock called uh, Camp Crystal Lake or, or Crystal Lake. I can't remember which one, what it's called, but that's going to be coming out within like the next year or so. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Dude, that's going to be so cool. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy that. And then I think, honestly, after season one, people are just going to be yearning for a for a film. Like, they're going to want to see Jason on the big screen again. Right. So, well, and, then, and then with the series there, you know, that sky's the limit. They don't have to stop at season one. They can, that can go definitely. Oh, my gosh, right? And, like, there's so much lore to explore in the world of Fran- uh, Friday the 13th, like, you know, this is going to be kind of like a prequel type series, but yeah, it's going to be really cool. I hope there's like some like time jumps from like when it's in the 50s and then maybe like in the 80s and stuff like that, where you kind of get both both of the worlds where yeah. why is why is this happening right now? And then they kind of show you and then you go into the 80s where we might get some hockey mask, Jason, because I think a lot of people are going to be wanting that. Yeah, you got to get some of that. You got to get a taste of that. Well, awesome, dude. Yeah. And and. You know, I, I mentioned on the on the first episode when we we're covering the original film, but you know, this is a this is a story, and the characters in the story was created by Victor Miller. He was the writer, and that was why this film was in such a a limbo for so long, is because it was in that lawsuit about him not getting paid the money he thought that was a uh, was his essentially. You're not getting you know enough money from the franchise, but he's voiced his his opinion publicly about how he hated the the route that this franchise took. Like he didn't want Jason to become this killer and, and the hockey mask. He thought it was kind of ridiculous. He always just wanted the story to be about the mother, but it's like, dude, boy, I'm glad he did his way. (laughs) I know. Right. It's like, why, why be upset? Like this, it obviously was successful and it worked out. Yeah. You can, you can't argue that. No. Go with the flow, buddy. Let it happen. All right, man. So the next section here, this is probably the longest section of the podcast, but, this is where we go through each of the main characters give a little description about them. And then we kind of talk about their character in the film. You know, what are their motivations? What type of personality do they have? And like, how do they tie into the story? You, uh, you buckle down and ready to do this. I think so. I hope so. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know how intimate I am with every one of those characters in there, but <laughs> I'll do. My yeah. Best. So basically I guess to give a little bit of background, anybody new that's listening, this might be good to hear too, but the first probably 10 episodes of the film room, we used to go through the movie like scene by scene, beat by beat. And it was great. Like it, it was awesome. But uh, it just kind of felt like some some of the episodes took a really long time to get through. And we kind of found ourselves like focusing on 
stuff that maybe didn't matter as much. So now that we go through the character list and we talk about the characters, just the character list alone, we essentially talk about 80 to 85% of the film. And then the next section after that, we talk about the key scenes. So that basically cleans up anything that we might have missed. That sounds like a great platform. Let's do it. All right, man. Let's start it off. So I'm going to start with Pamela Voorhees. It's an uncredited cameo by Betsy Palmer. So obviously we get the flashback scenes um, in the beginning from from the first film. And then at the end when uh, Ginny is putting on her sweater and pretending to be her. But Pamela Voorhees, portrayed by Betsy Palmer, is the original killer from the first Friday the 13th film. In the sequel, she briefly appears in the flashback, providing backstory to the events of the first film. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I mentioned this on, on the previous episode that Betsy Palmer like didn't want anything to do with this franchise and like basically just said it was a paycheck. But I think it was huge to get her back uh, for those, uh, um, not the flashback scenes, like they can just use that because it's existing footage. But at the end, when Ginny's doing the, you know, child psychology on Jason, I thought that was awesome. And there's just something about her that is just so unnerving. She's just freaky. Do you have any thoughts on her? Yeah, I agree 100%. Very creepy. Uh, I'm glad she's not my mother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just the way she talks with that pleasant smile on her face, that's very, that's got, that's got a lot of evil buried behind it. Um, just makes your skin crawl. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. All right, let's move on to the She's not in it very much, so we don't have to really talk anymore about no, her. But, you know, the, at the point in time in the movie when she didn't make an appearance, it made perfect sense. You know, it didn't feel forced at all. Right. Yeah. Weird like that. All right. So up next, we have Alice Hardy, played by Adrian King. So Alice Hardy is a survivor from the first Friday the 13th film. In this sequel, she has... She has moved on from the trauma of her previous encounter with Pamela Voorhees. She briefly appears at the beginning of the film, but meets a tragic fate early on, setting the stage for the new horrors of Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, there's a lot of controversy with uh, part two and, and the fate of uh, Alice Hardy. A lot of people think that that beginning scene where she gets killed by Jason was just a dream sequence, kind of like how it was at the end of the first film, that that didn't actually happen. And Alice Hardy's living hev- uh, happily ever after. But I'm on the opposite side of that uh, conversation. I I think that that did happen and she did die. And, uh, you know, not to keep mentioning the previous episode with Keller, but um, I, for some reason, her character didn't resonate with me that much. Like, she's fine as a final girl. Some people consider her, like, one of the best final, final girls of, like, all of the horror franchises. But... I thought she was fine. I didn't think she was like over like this amazing uh, performance or anything. It just kind of seems like she, I don't know, just like kind of lackadaisical sometimes with her lines. And then we kind of got a little bit of that uh, in the beginning here, but really think about the audience. It probably threw them for a loop when you're starting it off with the main character from the last film and she's killed off within the first like 10, 15 minutes. It definitely gave me a uh, scream vibes with Drew Barrymore. Absolutely. Yeah, you can tell that scream scene was inspired by by that whole thing. You know, and I you know, I got a little annoyed with her in that first opening scene when she's on the bed asleep, you know, having the nightmare. It we went on a little too long. It's like, yeah, we get it. I don't want to listen to her moaning anymore. Where's Jason? Let's get this over with. <laughs> Dude, I thought the same exact thing. That's so funny. I was just like, Oh my gosh, how many times are you gonna watch her like thrashing back and forth and like yeah, you know, like we're gonna spend ten minutes with a you know flashback of the the last film like that just they they just kind of like harped on it for like 
way yeah. too long. And, you know, I had a couple questions about her because she's a Cali girl. You know, she mentions that in the first film that she's from California and this is based in New Jersey. And I think this is what, like two months after the events of the first film. Yeah. Which why are you, why are you still in New Jersey? Like when, why wouldn't you want to like get away? Well, and, and that not, not only that, but she's in town, right? What's, yeah. what's Jason doing in, in the city? Right. Good point. That's a very good point. He's a woodsy guy. He's got his hut in the woods. They're secluded. And then he's, then what, and where, what happened to him? Where'd he go? Yeah. I, I have no, I have no idea. I mean, that was great introduction to, uh, to Jason where he, this, this child's like splashing and then all of a sudden he steps in, he's yeah. kind of stalking the, the house a little bit, but yeah, now like, honestly, I didn't even notice it the first few times I watched it, but this, this most recent time I'm like, I'm starting, you know, I'm a little older. I'm starting to like try to, you know, connect the dots a little bit more. And I'm just like, Hey, why is she here? Her mom calls her and she's kind of like, I got to figure some stuff out, you know, like we've already been through this and just kind of didn't want to talk to her mom. And I'm just like, I mean, I've obviously I've, never been through an encounter situation like that but like i feel like a natural thing to do is to get the hell out of like the setting that it happened (laughs) get as far away from that as you can yeah absolutely yeah it's not like it's her hometown or anything so i feel like and it's been two months so yeah and maybe part of that too was like her guard was down because she fucking chopped the last killer's head off and it was at camp crystal lake and now she's in the in, in the city so she doesn't think like there's any danger or anything, but you can tell like obviously she has like PTSD from it, and she's kind of like on her toes for some things. For sure. And then that phone call, that second phone call where there was no one on the other on the other line. You know what was that all about? Was does Jason have a phone now? Yeah, he's got a little like Motorola Razor, just like <laughs> running around. Samsung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah that, I mean, that kind of threw me off too. The phone call with nothing on the other side is like, okay, where, who's this calling? Where's this coming? Yeah. Gave me gave me very much uh, Michael Myers vibes. Like that's something Michael Myers would do, not Jason. Yeah, yeah. Jason doesn't use technology. <clears throat> no, not at all. <laughs> he, he's a he's a woodsman. He uses you know his the, right. the the setting that he's in. He uses machetes. He uses cross. He uses a, a bow and arrow. He uses whatever he's is available to him in the woods. And he's a carpenter. I mean, he built himself a nice little place there in the woods. Nice little trailer. Nice little shack. Yep. Um. Yeah. The last thing I just kind of want to mention about her is like her death scene. Like obviously. I remember I thought it was like set up really well with, you know, the her going towards the window and the cat, you know, jumps out. That always scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and then your guard's down because you're like, oh, that was the jump scare. And yep. then she opens the fridge and sees the head, gets an ice pick to the temple, and she's killed. Um, that that made me jump. And then, you know, Jason was nice enough to take her pot of tea off of the off of the burner there while I was screaming. Well, yeah, you don't just you don't want to burn the place down. No, no. So he's a, he's a he's responsible in his in his younger age right well he's but, more human i think in his younger age the older he gets the longer he goes i think he becomes more detached from that that human self that would turn off the teapot <laughs> right more monstrous more deformed right um yeah like interesting thing about this so apparently there was a malfunction with the ice pick that they had because obviously they use like these retractable type knives and and yeah. stuff like that so apparently the ice pick got like jammed and like stuck. So the first take, like he actually like stuck the ice pick in her head a little bit. No way. Yeah. Oh, see, that makes me cringe. I know. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the eighties, man. Like I feel like the, they try to do as much safety and precautions as possible, but you know, shit like that was kind of happening all the time. That's on the pro that's on the props department. You, you got to fix that. 
<laughs> you can't have that. I don't, right? So uh, a little bit of an owie before she met her For met sure. her fate. But uh, yeah, that was that was wild. And then obviously, as audience member, it's like now where are we going with this story? You know, it just killed off the yeah. the last girl. So well, you can't have any survivors lingering. Got to finish the work. Yeah, he did watch her cut her his his mom's head off. So I mean, yeah. what'd she expect? Yeah, you got to take that down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You got anything else to add on on Alice? Or are we good to move on to the next character? No, I think that covers it with her. Okay, that, that could have happened sooner, though, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, so up next we get our new final girl, Ginny Field, played by Amy Steele. So. Ginny Field is the film's protagonist, a psychology student and counselor in training. She is resourceful, intelligent, and determined to uncover the truth behind the legend of Jason Voorhees while facing the terror at Camp Crystal Lake. Hey, this might be a hot take. I think Ginny Field is like the most underrated final girl in all of like horror franchises, and she's probably, probably in my top three. I think she's great, and I think it's a crime that we were robbed of more Ginny Field in the rest of the of the Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought she was great, um, especially down there towards the end. You know, when she her life was on the line, she was cornered in that hut or whatever you want to call it in the middle of the woods, and she saw the head on the table, and she improvised and thought on the fly and got herself out of a jam. I mean, yeah, she's a hero. Right, yeah, and, like, I think there's a perfect description of her as being resourceful and intelligent. It's like, yeah, she's using her, her, uh, her child psychology to you know mess with jason's head a little bit and you know she's a fighter too and the entire time she's like there's something not right about this place that that guy might jason might still be out there and she doesn't like that she's not being taken seriously and all that stuff yeah yeah absolutely and um again towards the end that was probably the most impressive you know but that that went a little long for me too i thought you know that whole sequence where she's saving her own life and fighting off jason the fight went on a little too long there. I, you know, I agree with you, but I also put this up there as one of my favorite, like chase scenes, cat and mouse. Yeah. Of like horror yeah. movies, just cause I do love me some Ginny field. So, uh, yeah. Like another thing too, is just, I still get chills every time I watch this scene, but when they come back to the cabin with Paul, she comes back with Paul yeah. and she's like, She's like, the kids would not leave this place like this. And he's like, what the hell is going on? They find the bloody sheets. She's like, there's something wrong here. And Paul the entire time is trying to be like a realist and be like, no, yeah. everything's fine. But the scene when the lights are out and she, he's downstairs messing with the fuse box and she's like, Paul, there's someone in this room. And then when you finally see Jason, he's like, Paul, there's someone in this fucking room. Like yep. I get chills just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I loved that too. And she, you know, it made, it made him kind of look foolish. You know, he's there. You got this big, strong guy that's supposed to be saving the girl and she's saving his ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, part of that chase, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are, because there, there's a debate on this on this as well. But, you know, when she's hiding under the under the bed in that that little cabin and uh, there's that rat. Yeah, that comes in and it gets close to her face. Now, there's a debate whether or not that pee is from Ginny or from the rat. Who do you think that pee, the source of the pee is from? Well, I questioned that minute I saw it, and I, I, I thought to myself, yeah, it was, it was Jenny, but you know, I didn't, I couldn't imagine a girl her age pissing herself even under those circumstances, and is why, then why would the rat be there in the first place? Yeah. So, I, I'm blaming on the rat, and I think the rat is what gave her away. Yeah, that's, that, I, I think it's the rat, 
I, I'm going to blame the rat as well. Cause I'm like, wait, so this like man, this deformed man who's been like chasing you, trying to kill you. You haven't pissed your pants from that, but you're going to piss your pants from a, from a rat. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, or as he's walking out the room. So, you know, you can, you can look at it one of two ways is, is the rat what's causing her to piss her pants or the fact that she's so scared from being chased by this maniac, but it's been going on for so long. It's like, why now? Right. <laughs> why did you piss and, 15 minutes ago? <laughs> and uh, our, it can be our final point on, on Ginny, but obviously Ginny's our final girl and she survives at the end of this film. But uh, I just thought about this today. She had sex with Paul on the first night. Now, you know, I like to consider myself a slasher aficionado. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, sex equals death. This yeah, you let your guard down. Yeah, absolutely. You're just setting yourself up. So apparently she uh, she was able to break the rules and still survive. Yeah, she. well, I didn't see that come. You know, the first time you watch this movie, you don't see that coming. No, not at all. We'll you think they're goners the minute they go upstairs and do that. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, not to get into these characters quite yet, but we're introduced to Jeff and Sandra right away. And they seem like they're going to be the main characters, not Paul and Ginny. Yeah, but at the same time, they have like this carelessness about them. You know, they're they're goofing off in the telephone booth there while their truck's getting towed and they're completely oblivious to what's going on around them. Right. Uh, you could just almost feel them being set up to just be the first ones that get off because they're just, they're. I don't know. It, they, I, I could see that one coming, honestly. That's a good point. Well, you know what? I think we've covered a lot of bases with Ginny and we'll probably talk about her a little bit more. Now we go down the character list and, and some of the key scenes. You ready to move on to the next guy? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So next up, I got Paul Holt played by John Fury. Paul Holt is Ginny's boyfriend. Well, I guess it's not really confirmed, but they, they are a love interest mm-hmm. and a fellow counselor, the head counselor at the camp. He is caring and protective of Ginny and takes on a leadership role in the group's efforts to reopen the camp. So He's basically this movie's uh, Steve Christie, just less creepy. I always thought Steve Christie was kind of a creep. He's like a 45-year-old man trying to date Alice, who's like 18 or 19. (laughs) Just kind of seemed a little like an odd couple. But Paul is another character in the Friday 13th franchise that, you know, I loved. And it's kind of ambiguous. We don't know if he lives or dies. They don't tell us. I mean, he he's there at the end. And then uh, the scene that you kind of mentioned before about Jason breaking through the glass and grabbing Ginny. And then she wakes up and she's getting put into the back of the ambulance. She's asking where Paul's at and Paul's nowhere to be found. Did did he get taken by another ambulance? Is he waiting for her at the hospital or is he another victim of Jason's? I guess we don't really know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I thought that the same thing, Uh, you know, but my first thought after that scene where he jumps through the window in slow motion and attacks Jenny was, then it cuts to her the next morning getting thrown into an ambulance. Well, how did that end that you get attacked by anyone off guard through a window at your back? How do you survive that? Right. You know, did Paul have something to do with that? Is it, I, I wanted more information about how that all ended because it just went from, you know, Oh, I got you girl. You're done now. And <laughs> he's getting, she, and she survived this morning. The sun's up and he's gone and Jason and Paul are both gone. You know what happened there? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. But like on the personality of of Paul, like I liked him. He seemed like he'd actually be like a kind of a cool guy to work for or work with. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's he wants to take things like seriously and he doesn't he seems like he doesn't want to like deal with any of like more so the nonsense of like the Jason Voorhees lore. But uh, 
yeah, I, I, I love the campfire scene. I think that's like one of the scenes that stands out in all of all of the Friday the 13th franchise where, you know, he's he's talking yeah. about he's giving that monologue about Jason. And then they the group gets scared by Ted later. And he only did that to be like, all right, now I don't want to hear anything else about this whole Jason crap. I, ho- I hope you got out of your system. Yeah, he seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, exactly. And it's very smart to do that. You know, night number one around the fire, get that out of your system and move on. Um, I think he truly believed that, but I do remember that scene and I could be wrong, but it might've been the Jason lives movie that I talked about in the very beginning yep. as my favorite. Uh, they revert back to that scene. Do you remember that? Yep. That. And then the wheelchair scene, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later Yeah, going down backwards. Down. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, iconic that, that, that group gathered around the fire at night and part two is just that iconic uh, scene for sure. <clears throat> Yeah, so I think we can both agree that we we enjoyed uh, the character of Paul, and yeah, he definitely seemed very like very heroic, and uh, you know he he puts a pretty good fight against Jason in in the cabin initially, and then oh, yeah. I don't know if he just gets like subdued or something, but then you know, in the first time I was watching this, I was definitely surprised to see him come back and like try to save Ginny, but then again, like Jason's just got that crazy strength and was able to like when they were tussling and stuff like that, like. I mean, Paul got fucked up in this movie. Yeah, I thought he was gone that first go with Jason. I thought he was a goner. And I was very surprised to see him appear again later in the, in the movie. Yeah, so, all right, man. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about John in, in the key scenes. Or Paul, that's yeah. the actor's name. Paul's Paul in the key scenes. So let's, uh, let's move on to some of these other characters here. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so next up, we got Ted, played by Stuart Charno. Ted is a fun-loving and humorous member of the group. He provides comic relief and serves as a friend to the other counselors, sharing their enthusiasm for the reopening of the camp. Uh, I probably have an unpopular opinion, but I n- I've never liked Ted in this in this movie. I've always thought that he was kind of like annoying. And when he's like drunk at the bar and he's like mocking the, the people that he just asked if they were like an after-hours uh, place that they can go to, and he like the guys like. There sure are. And he like his mind's like, oh, sure are. And like, yeah, he thinks it's funny that he drank like 30 beers and he's like flirting with the with the waitress. And I don't know. They, yeah, they try to play him up as like this super like funny. Like he was almost like the uh, the Ned from the first film. But <laughs> I was expecting like, yeah, I guess Ted, Ned. But I was expecting him to be one of the victims. And it was kind of disappointing that he wasn't. Yeah. I agree. When I first met him in the movie, I, I felt like he was definitely one of those that's going to be the first to go. You could just see it coming. coming. But sadly, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, so basically, like, we don't even get any sort of, like, ending. I think he just was drunk and ended up at one of those after-hours places. And He's the lucky um, one. Yeah, he was lucky. He was lucky that he, he went to one of those places. He probably brought the entire group with him, and that's why they, like, the 20 other counselors didn't didn't come back but yeah uh, that move paid off i guess um, yeah, i guess but all right we move on to the next one here our next character is sandra played by marta cober sandra is a friendly and outgoing counselor who is excited about the camp's revival she is close friends with fellow counselor jeff well she's boyfriend and girlfriend they're boyfriend and girlfriend they're the ones that are in the first scene with when the truck gets towed right yeah, so uh, kind of a crazy story about this actress. 
she lied on her resume and said that she was 18. She was actually 17, so she was underage when she was doing this film, which became a huge issue when they found out after the release and all the VHS releases because she has a sex scene. And not only that, when uh, her and Jeff, when they die by Double Impale, um, that was actually supposed to be like the shot. It wasn't supposed to like cut away to like underneath the bed. It was supposed to be like you see it from the backside, you see the spear go in, and obviously, I think for like graphic reasons, like the MPAA cut it out, um, but also because she's underage and all of the on the backside of all the VHSs, that scene with the cut with, with the deleted scene of the of the spear going in the back, that was on the back of the VHS. They had to they had to remove all those uh, tapes from the shelves. Was it really? Yes. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was a, a big problem pr problem that they had to uh to deal with but honestly like i guess they could have vetted her a little bit more um but it's obviously on her because she like lied about it Mm -hmm. you know to try to get this this role but um yeah she kind of like i think i think she's still alive but um she was in slumber party massacre too she was like a pizza delivery delivery girl oh her life kind of went down the wrong road she got into drugs she's been like arrested and I should send you a picture of her, of one of her mug shots from like the early 2000s. And like, she's unrecognizable. It's like really bad. Is that right? That's too bad. Yeah. So uh, kind of a rough go for, for the actress there. But as far as the character of Sandra, yeah, she seems nice and she seems pleasant. Um, You know, she's kind of the one that's, that's trying to force Jeff's hand into, in exploring um, camp blood and, the the mm-hmm. off limits part of the of the of the woods area and gets them in trouble trouble obviously and that's why they have to stay back um but yeah she like overall like now that you're, you you kind of told me that you kind of saw it coming with them not being the main characters yeah watching it through again i kind of see that because not that she was like super hollow of a character no. but there's a little bit of that um to her but like i said the first time watching this jeff and sandra I was like rooting for him. I was like, oh yeah, those are the main characters. And then when they got killed, I was like, what? No way. Yeah. And so for me, it, like I said, and I said this before, I, it was the carelessness. You could just tell they were just young and dumb and in love. And that that's going to get you killed in these kind of movies. And you didn't, they didn't have that same sense of like, like with Jenny, when she, her character was introduced, oh, this girl's intelligent. You know, she can figure things out. She can get herself out of a jam. And that, in that scene where they did, did end up getting killed, you know, whether that was what it was, what it was originally supposed to be or not, that kill scene, when he drops that spear and you know the position that they're both in on the bed and then it cuts to the spear hitting the floor underneath the bed. I mean, that to me was just, that was one of the best kills in the movie for me. Oh, yeah. Because sure, what you don't see is what your mind makes up and that's what makes it so great. All you see is that spear hitting the floor full of blood and that's like, yeah, two for one. <laughs> I, dude, I, that's... I completely agree that those are my same thoughts. It's like, it's almost better that they didn't show it. Cause it just like leaves you up to like your imagination. And like, you can just kind of picture like how gruesome that was, you know, yeah. from, from the top area. But yeah, like I remember like when I was younger and seeing that, I'm like, Oh my God, that is so scary. That was like, <laughs> like probably the most brutal kill I've ever seen, like on, on screen when I was younger. And I'm just like, damn, yeah. that'd be a, what a, what a way to go. You just had a fun time and, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if that's the way it's going to end for me, I I, I prefer that. 
yeah, I guess, you know, right. Uh, po- po- what would be called a uh, post coitus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, we'll, we'll go with that. I like it. All right. Well, now that we talked about her, let's maybe get into her, uh, her other half in uh, Jeff. Yeah. So Jeff is played by Bill Randolph. Jeff is Sandra's boyfriend and a counselor at the camp. Uh, he's level headed and cautious, often looking out for the safety of his friends and uh, Sandra. So, um, yeah, I, like I said, I like Jeff from first time I meet him. It's like he he is pretty serious, though. Like, I mean, I guess I'd be pretty pissed off. If I saw my uh, pickup getting getting towed, but he seemed like a pretty good sport about it once he saw that it was all all of yeah. Ted's doing and stuff like that. But, you know, he was obviously hesitant to go check out uh, the rest of the the camp and, and uh, camp blood and and didn't want to get in trouble, didn't want to get caught. But that was mostly Sandra trying to persuade him to to head over there but uh yeah there were a few things that he said where he, like he's kind of a weird character like you like him seems very friendly and level-headed and then all of a sudden he's calling mark scooter i'm like come on bro like <laughs> that that that's a good part. i mean mark mark was cool with it and everything but i was like damn dude <laughs> yeah that was low blow you don't do that <laughs> yeah yeah no def- de- definitely not but uh yeah he was a good sport with the whole tow truck thing and you know, no, no one does pranks like that anymore. You know what I mean? That was that was a next level prank. Yeah, get this oh. guy on the phone, distract him, and then send your buddy over there with his tow truck and tow his truck away. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, that was yeah, one of the that, best pranks in movies history. <laughs> that was a that was the one like decent thing that Ted did in this film that I actually was like, oh yeah, that's funny that Ted did that. Yeah, but uh, it's also great how like in 1981 they pulled that off, like being in the phone booth right there with it like in their point of view. And him being able to get it up and and tow it in the time and knowing that they'd be distracted. Yeah, and then the whole time it's happening before you know it's a prank. You're like, what is what's going on? What? Why is this guy towing this truck? And he's in a hurry. You know, he's running around the truck. Yeah, he's. You can tell it's just not a normal tow situation. And you don't. You know, you look at this truck and the way it's parked, and he's not doing anything wrong. So you knew there was something up about it, but until you saw it was a prank, that was a, that was a nice payoff with that whole scene. Yeah, definitely. And like we just mentioned, uh, his death scene was coupled with Sandra. They died at the same time, the the double impale. And uh, another thing that like freaked me out was obviously when Vicky stumbles upon their bodies and she bumps into him behind her and he's like all like he's hung up by like a fucking sheet and he's it almost looked like Jason like hacked at him some more afterwards. Yeah, yeah that was a little gory. It's like, oof, that uh <laughs> That would not be a sight I want to see. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It didn't. It didn't equate to just the single spear through the back or through the. I forget if he was. Was he on the top or the bottom? <laughs> yeah, he was on top. Yeah, because Sandra's the one who saw, and she was. She gave that like right. gasp. Yeah, that last big gasp. Um, yeah. So what? Yeah, what gives? What's with all the scar on scarring on the front side? Yeah, and oh, here, here's a good question for you. Gosh, it's like. It's freaky because Jeff never saw it coming, obviously. But Sandra, she did see it coming. Would you rather? Would you rather see it coming, or would you rather not see it coming? Oh, in that situation, in in the position that they were both in, and how good that position can be, <laughs> I would much rather ha- have it a surprise and just have it end and be over with. <laughs> because you don't want to you don't want to go from pleasure to pain like she did. And, you know, feeling so good. And this is great. And then all of a sudden, oh no, this is not good. This is not great. And then bam, done. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think I, I'm probably with you. I probably wouldn't want to 
see it coming because I want yeah, my last that... memory being, you know, looking at the girl below me, not <laughs> some guy with a sack over his head and a spear in his hand. <laughs> he did. Hey, remember, he didn't have the sack over his head, so it's probably worse. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. Oh, poor girl. Ugh. Oh, yeah. That was that was bad. But uh, rest in peace, Jeff. Yes, both both of them both of that rest in peace the the couple yeah double speared <laughs> yep all right so next character here we got vicky played by lauren marie taylor vicky is another counselor at the camp who has a romantic interest in her fellow counselor mark she is friendly and very outgoing now i will say this rob that for the longest time i could not stand her character i don't know if it was her looks or her personality or what it was but i'm just like I just found her to be obnoxious when she was on screen, but now I've kind of grown to like her a little more. Like, yeah, she was like being very friendly with, I mean, obviously she, she really liked and was attracted to Mark and everything, but she was friendly with him. She seemed like a really nice girl. And uh, yeah, the way that she went out was also pretty, pretty bad having to stumble upon the, the death scene of, Jeff and Sandra and getting a knife to the gut. I mean, oof. And I actually thought it was really great acting because she was like taking those like deep breaths after she was stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oof. Like that was, uh, that was, that was really good acting. The one, the one thing that she didn't do well as far as acting goes is when she comes back into the cabin and she's like, Mark, where are you? And then she immediately goes upstairs. She, I'm like, yeah, Mark's in a wheelchair. He's not up there. I thought the same thing. I said the same thing to myself. I was like, why are you upstairs? How is he going to get up there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But hey, dude, she, goddamn, she's like, you could almost say she was like more horned up than Jeff and Sandra. Like she like did not care. Like she's like, I'm having, I'm having sex with Mark tonight. Yeah. I mean, and, and good for her for confirming, you know, like does, does it all work well down right. here? <laughs> you know, and, she was yeah she was blunt she was to the point and she was she knew what she wanted that's for sure yeah she she was ready to go and she when she was getting all ready and stuff like that yeah okay time out like real like real question here okay she had black she she had black underwear on and for some reason she she decided to put what she would consider her sexy underwear on as the brown underwear yeah i didn't see that i didn't see the sex appeal in that at all no And, and the reason for the changing outside of wanting a fresh pair on but exactly. And, uh, you know, she was, she kind of hesitated too with like the perfume because, you know, Paul earlier was like, no perfume that attracts bears. And she's like, whatever. And she started spraying it and all over, uh, her body. Um, she was on a mission. She didn't care. Yeah. She was like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a good night. Uh, but yeah, obviously she met her demise. Uh, she was the last of like the counselors that were, that were held back from, from going into town to, to die. And I always, I always think this was like, I would, much rather be the first one to be killed than the last one i just feel like that's so terrifying to be alone like that oh yeah in every scenario you don't want to be the last alive person out of a group of 20 people there's nothing good good about that unless you're jenny unless you're yeah you're jenny you can fight off like i feel like well obviously she was terrified and she's probably frozen in fear and that's why she like backed up and stuff but i don't know jenny's in that situation she probably sprints out the door she just kind of, yeah, backed up and, like, let Jason slowly walk towards her. So. Yeah. 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 She, she deserved it. <laughs> she, deserved, <laughs> she deserved to die. She could have done better. <laughs> she could have done better. Yep. Save uh, herself. 
Yeah. So, well, you know, we kind of talked about him a little bit and I'm really, this is like my favorite character to, to talk about because there's a lot to get into with him, but let's, uh, let's get into Mark played by Tom McBride. So Mark is a kind and wheelchair bound counselor who is enthusiastic about the camps reopening. His disability does not deter him from participating in the group's activities. Now, Tom McBride, he wasn't actually paralyzed in real life, but he did end up dying from AIDS, uh, in like the early nineties, I believe. Oh wow! And and so it's funny. Uh, the actress that played Vicky actually had like a real crush on him, and then she found out that he was actually gay. So obviously that wasn't gonna gonna work anymore. She was kind of disappointed in that. But Her yeah, super su- super sad that uh, you know. He, I think he was pretty young. I think he was like in his early thirties when he ended up passing away. So uh, rest in peace for real to to Tom McBride. But um, yes, gave an absolutely amazing performance in in this movie and i like when i think about friday 13th part two like Ginny and john and and paul and 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 mark are like the three that pop into my head right away because that guy did not deserve the death that he got that was no fucking brutal yeah he was a he was a super cool dude i could hang and play cards with him in a wheelchair all night right he's just the kind of guy wrestle yeah Oh, he well, he was the king of that. I mean, well, you're pushing that thing around all the time. You're gonna be, you're gonna have the strong upper body to win every arm wrestling tournament you enter. Right, uh, exactly. But yeah, he's really, really very likable guy, and didn't didn't deserve it what he got. But you know that kind of, that scene kind of bothered me too because it kind of it was one of the, another one of those scenes, and there's a couple more that I'll talk about. But it kind of went on a little longer than I thought it needed to, where he's just sitting there out on the porch, you know, and I think he's realizing. He's up shit creek, you know, and it just kind of it kept just kind of drug out for the longest time. And it kept cutting to his face, and you can't see anybody behind him. And then all of a sudden, it cuts to the back of his head, and he's done. He's done. Oh, dude, yeah. Can <laughs> we can we just can we just take a moment to talk about that? Because it's like, yeah, how fucking brutal is that? Like, why did they have to give arguably the most brutal death to the guy in the wheelchair? Not yeah. only, not only, Rob. Does he get a fucking machete to the face? He falls down a flight of stairs with the machete in his face and doesn't fall out of his wheelchair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard to watch. But it was a cool scene, too. At the other, on the other hand, you know, if you take out the sentiment of, like, you know, the guy being so likable and, and you're, you're rooting for him, you know, the scene, the, the kill scene was just killer. <laughs> It it truly was. I mean, I'm glad that that death is is in the in the in the movie because it's really obviously impactful. We're we're talking about it like crazy right now, but <laughs> yeah, I I remember first time watching that, just being like, "Holy shit, that dude got like that dude really got it." Like yeah, yeah. Jason had something against that guy for being like a, a decent nice guy, apparently. Well, he was an easy target, and I guess he can get a little more creative. He didn't have to work too hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but. Yes, still like 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 we we said like just a super nice guy like you know when he's talking to Vicky it's almost like he like wasn't interested but I think it was also just because he's like she doesn't know what she's getting herself into like why why like why would she want to like do that with me and then like after a while he's like all right like I'm I'm down if if she's down like I kind of told her like you know this is how it's gonna be and if yeah. you're not interested then then you know it's not gonna happen but. It's it's kind of sad because you know you don't really know how much action he was he was getting and it's like he's about to like get lucky and he gets instead gets a machete to the face. 
Yeah, that girl would have rocked his world. <laughs> I really wish that would have happened before he took that machine into the face. Hey, <laughs> wouldn't it be a great way to go out? <laughs> wouldn't it have made more sense if like uh Vicky and Mark got the double impale scene? Like if she like pulled him on top of her or something and she like saw but like couldn't get him off or something. Yeah, and then they both go down the stairs in the chair together. <laughs> oh my god. A little more romantic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that was a, in, in a couple of the of the spec scripts that they're like, no, 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 that's that's too much. <laughs> but looking back, wouldn't that been nice? <laughs> it, yeah, it probably would have been. Holy shit! All right, well, let's move on to the next character here. Uh, we got Scott, played by Russell Todd. Uh, Scott is a rebellious, mischievous member of the group who often gets into trouble, and he has a huge crush on Terry. Okay, Scott, <coughs> you know. If you were to do that stuff nowadays, they'd probably put a guy like that behind bars. You can't flirt like that anymore. He was way too, like, forthcoming. But uh, I knew from the moment we were introduced to Scott that this guy's going to be one of the first ones killed. Yeah, and and, and I wanted it that way. Like, he, what a douche, this guy. Yeah. You don't shoot a slingshot at a woman's rear end. I mean, is that – that's like how you get a girl's attention in second or third grade. <laughs> yeah that's a good point you know you, you throw a rock at them <laughs> yep. you don't do that when you're a, a, an adult or what are these kids they're are they teenagers they're they, they're probably like night well i guess they can all go to the bars they're probably like 21 22 oh yeah yeah i didn't i didn't put that it's just they just all feel younger yeah they all feel like they could be still like seniors in high school yeah no i totally i totally agree and uh yeah i that's funny you bring that up that i didn't even think about it that way but it's like yeah, that's like elementary type type flirting. <laughs> like I'm gonna I'm gonna like hit this girl with something so I get her attention and maybe she'll like me. Like, no, dude, like you're you're an adult now. Like that doesn't work. And then the whole yeah, he was a total creep. Like he's a peeping tom and he's like yeah. stealing her clothes while she's, you know, uh, skinny dipping at, at night. And we'll get into that whole thing because I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, lady? Like it's Oh, I just hate to see that. I I've I've been in a lake after sundown one time in my life and that gave me the heebie-jeebies oh yeah i don't do that shit i, I couldn't yeah no i don't no. understand it like i i'll probably do it at some point in my life just to say that i did it but there was one time that so out at my lake i mean it was quite a ways out there but we used to have a like a swimming raft with like a diving board and everything i mean it's probably 50 60 yards from the shore and my buddy and I, we, we took, we didn't have, we didn't have my kayak at that time, but we took my, uh, my paddleboard out there and, uh, before sundown and stuff. And we wanted to like, we were just like hanging, we were swimming and stuff like that. And then like we brought an extra set of clothes for when it got like dark out. So then like it got dark out, you put an extra set of clothes on everything. We were just chatting and stuff like that. And they were like, all right, let's, uh, let's get back. And then my buddy, of course he has to say, dude. What do you think's underneath us right now? <laughs> Come on, man. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, fish. I don't want to like, think about that. <laughs> and then he goes, you know, the girl from the ring that climbs out of the well. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, what would you do if she just like we saw her head poke out of the water real quick? And I said, fuck you. <laughs> like, like and that, that would be how cool of a movie scene would that be? Yes. And her her head pops up like twenty yards away, and then in the blink of an eye, she's right in front of you. Oh. That would oh come on come on oh, fucking a man I don't know but anyways so we're fully clothed <laughs> this time because we're like we don't want to get back into the water 
and I don't know if you've been on a paddleboard before, but like we had, we got it. That was the first summer we had it. So like we weren't very good at using it and putting two people on there is tough as hell. So we were like both getting on there. We had like sweatpants and a sweatshirt on. And we were like fucking like tipping it, rocking it. I was like, oh God, dude, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it back. Were you guys standing up? Were you on your knees or what? We were, he, he got on the front. I held on to it. He was on his knees and then it started like dipping into the water because the weight wasn't, like, you know, leveled out. And then he's like, yeah. I don't know what we do. And I was like, I, I have no idea. So I think we eventually like both like got on at the same time, somehow, some way and like balanced it out and then like started like paddling and uh like we ended up like getting wet because we like had to step once we got close to shore and our like fin on the bottom started like scraping the rocks and stuff. oh yeah we like like shin high we we got wet and stuff like that but um yeah obviously i was like not wanting to go into the the black water that that scares the hell out of me but someday i'm sure i'll I'll skinny dip, skinny dip, but I've just like have never had a reason. I'm not gonna skinny dip by myself. I'm not gonna skinny dip with a bunch of dudes. It's gonna have to be like with my wife and like yeah. other people or something. Right. Yeah. I'm so you. even then, uh, I think I might just uh, play lifeguard at that point. <laughs> yeah, or just keep my underwear on or something. I don't fucking know. Like I don't understand. I don't understand that. Like everyone's like, "Oh, dude, have you ever skinny dipped before? It's fucking awesome!" Like, no, no, is it <laughs> really not... that awesome? <laughs> Showers are awesome. <laughs> yeah exactly i'll I'll take one of those instead (laughs) um but yeah sorry to we'll talk about her here next but uh scott obviously gets caught with her clothes and uh he gets caught in one of jason's traps which i thought was kind of inventive and pretty cool where he gets caught in a little rope and he's strung up in the air and he's hanging upside down and uh when terry is leaving to go get get a knife to cut him down um in that time jason ends up coming up behind him and slicing and his neck open and killing him he bleeds out here's a funny thing so russell todd the actor on a podcast i was listening to he said that that was like such a terrible scene to shoot because when they got him upside down they were that they had like this pump that was like supposed to like pump the blood out and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and the pump like stopped working or something and it was like super cold out when they were doing it so he's like hanging upside down so he had like people like like holding his back up so he like wasn't upside down for so long and then they used a real machete. And I don't know if you noticed, but they used the backside of the machete, the dull side. Oh, so I didn't ob- notice that. Obviously, so they wouldn't like hurt him or anything. But he just remembers he's like, yeah, I told my parents about it. And they were like, they, they were worried that he was like in a snuff film or something. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's legit. Like, it's it's all good. And like, yeah, so they, they use like the dull side of the and the entire time. He's thinking, he's like, I hope he remembers to use the dull side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Well, and, and nothing like creating real discomfort in a scene that you're shooting to help, you know, sell the, the play, you know, the acting. You know, you're hanging there upside down, you're freezing your balls off, and, you know, that's real discomfort no matter whether you're acting or not. So I like that part of it, you know, to create that realism in the scene. Yeah, totally. All right, well, let's let's get on to the girl he had a, he had a crush on, uh, Terry. So Terry was played by uh, Kirsten Baker. Terry is a counselor at the camp and the object of Scott's affection. She is athletic and caring, and her interactions with Scott create tension within the group. So obviously, like we mentioned, Terry has this uh, full frontal nudity uh, skinny dipping scene, uh, which when all the, all the people leave, she's like, I think I'm going to go for a walk. And then just like by herself, she's just like, I think I'm going to go for a swim. 
Yeah. And like, like I said, like by herself, she's just going to go skinny dipping, which like in my mind, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why are you doing that? Like, and she didn't even bring like a towel with her, like anything. I'm just like, what are you going to put your clo- clothes on while you're like soaking wet and freezing? Like whatever. Yeah, nothing about that scene made sense to me. Like, it's so- just, it's called slasher lo- logic where it doesn't have yeah. to make sense. Like apparently, but uh, she was another one that was an off screen death where she comes across Scott's body, screams, turns around, and then the screen flashes. So I don't know. We see her body at the end in like the uh, Mrs. Voorhees like shrine room, like laying there dead. But I'm assuming she was like stabbed in the stomach or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they kind of left that one up to the imagination. But it was yeah. an easy kill. You know, it was one of those that you didn't really have to think too hard about. You knew it was coming. It's just a matter of time. And it's a little anticlimactic, but you know, with all the buildup with her swimming and skinny dipping out there. But right. But so here's my question for you. So you had she had that dog. Do you remember the dog's name? No. Was it Muffins? Was it Muffins? I could have been. I don't recall. So I'm confused, and this is why I'm convinced that the final scene where Jason jumps through the glass is a dream sequence, because when Jeff and Sandra are exploring Camp Blood, they come across a dead dog that's clearly that dog. I remember they're like, "Yeah, should I tell Terry?" And Jeff's like, "No way, don't don't tell her." And then the entire night she's like, "Well, maybe I'll." Oh, yeah, that's why she went on a walk. She's like, "I'm gonna go on a walk. Maybe I'll." I'll find my dog. She obviously didn't seem too worried about the dog. It's been like a full day and she's like, yeah, maybe the dog will show up. <laughs> what? Yeah. I kind of felt like an afterthought. And I, you know, in all honesty, I don't know that I paid too much attention to that dog and, and its role in the movie. Um, was that the dog that was that the dog that was dead when they went to camp blood? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I didn't put that together. <laughs> well, yeah, and honestly, that like this this last watch, I finally put it together. I always, I always just like, oh, the dog's alive at the end. But now I'm like, if you were to go back and look at that scene, that is for sure the dog that's sitting there, like split open and and clearly dead. So that's why I'm convinced that at the end, when the dog shows up and Paul picks up the dog, and then Jason jumps through the window, that that's like like Ginny passed out while Paul was carrying her back to camp, and that was all like a dream okay yeah that makes sense i can get behind that so um yeah but as far as the character of terry there's not much to add she's like she was a pretty pretty much just a body count type character yeah so all right let's uh we got three more characters here to go through i'll save the best for last we'll save jason for last but um up next uh, reprising the role as crazy ralph we have uh, walt gorney so Crazy Ralph is a superstitious and eccentric local resident of the area around Camp Crystal Lake. He serves as a harbinger of doom, warning the new group of counselors about the curse of Camp Blood. His character adds an element of foreboding to the film. So Crazy Ralph, obviously, like I mentioned, was in the last film, and he was just, he was crazy. He, he was nuts. He was, uh, you know, trying to warn them. And then he was showing up in camp in their, in their little cabinet in the kitchen and being a weirdo and then he just like rides away on his bicycle and never see him again. I was surprised to see him in this film again. But when I saw him, I never thought that he was going to fall victim to Jason. Now, here's the funny thing. I knew that Ralph was crazy. I mean, he's got the title as Crazy Ralph in the town. I did not know that Crazy Ralph was a peeping Tom. Yeah, right. Like, that's what I'm wondering here. I'm I'm looking at the scene here when he when he finally gets it up with, around the throat with against the tree. Yep you know what's his motive is he there to really is he trying to protect these kids and 
and warn them and keep an eye on them? Or is he the creepy peeping Tom that he looks like he is? <laughs> and either way, I think I was glad to see him go. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad that that guy got what he did. Whatever his motive was, I was glad to see him go. Yeah, it was kind of like unclear what he was supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, it was probably like an afterthought. They're like, well, we should probably kill Crazy Ralph. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I always thought that like Jason used like a like a leather belt or something to, to choke him out. I did not realize it was like barbed wire. Well, I'd like to know how he got that thing around the tree. Yeah. <laughs> above him so high without him hearing, you know, was he perched up in the tree the whole time? Waiting yeah. for someone to stand below it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I've always thought that too. Is like that's like physically impossible to do that. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have the barbed wire in one hand, and throw, it, throw it around the tree, which is probably three to four feet in circumference, and catch it with your other hand on the other side, and then drop it down and yank it up around the guy's throat. Dude, that's the, where that slasher movie logic comes in. Yeah, it it's just, everywhere. It just <laughs> makes sense. And that's where you have to stop thinking. You yep. just have to accept it for what it is and the entertainment value and love it and move on. Yep. Just, yeah. Turn your brain off. Just it's pure entertainment at that point. Well, that's, that's a big part of what we love about these movies is you don't have to think too hard at all. No. <laughs> you just sit down and watch and take it in. And it's, <clears throat> I, I, I find myself laughing out loud a lot of times when I'm watching these people get off, you know, cause you know, it's coming, but how's it going to come? And then damn, they get it. And it just feels good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> All right, we're at the home stretch here with the characters, so uh, let's let's go to the next guy, Officer Dork. Yes, yeah, so I was wondering if you were going to talk about him. Oh yeah, he was a last second add to the character list. I was like, I probably should add him, but uh, he's played by Jack Mark. So Officer Dork is a local police officer who becomes involved in the events at Camp Crystal Lake. He investigates the mysterious occurrences, mysterious occurrences, and tries to maintain order when chaos erupts. His character represents the local authorities' response to the unfolding horror. Um, oof, that guy. I don't know <laughs> if I, I don't know if I believe he passed the uh, physical test for becoming a police officer, but I'm sure nobody <laughs> wanted to be a cop in that town after all of its history. So they'll take whatever they can get. Yeah, you got to hand it to the guy for even stepping up. But you know, okay, that that was a great. I really liked that scene where he's driving away on the dirt road and he sees a flash of someone jump into the, across the street and into the into the shrubs there that just creates some suspense for me you know just okay yep. chase is on who was this guy he thinks it's just another one of these mischievous kids but i gotta say again that slasher logic it's like this chase scene through the woods went on for what felt like miles like this guy you just you said it yourself he's not in the best shape he's not <laughs> and he's sprinting at least a half a mile through the woods <laughs> And I just trying to wrap my head around that. I'd be like, come on, this needs to end now. This is going on way too long. And then he stops right there in front of Jason's cabin. And then the whole time he's running, I'm wondering, can is is this person he's chasing still visible? Like, can he still like see him? Like, is he 50 yards ahead of him in the woods and he's getting little tastes of him and he's got something to follow? Because it just felt like he just just running in the dark. Like, oh, I'm just gonna run this direction. And I thought the exact same thing, dude. I'm like. Jason's probably long gone by now, and he's just yeah. yeah, sprinting aimlessly. Yeah, it just felt very unnecessary. He's like, dude, wait, just stop and think, you know. <laughs> well, I I was like, okay, I know it's 1981, but <laughs> I uh, I feel like he could have like radioed to somebody 
like oh, for in, sure. his, in his vehicle before he got out being like hey i'm, I'm going after a sprinter in the woods because like the cops never show up again it's like did jason move his fucking squad car off of the road or like where did he put that thing yeah i mean i never even thought beyond that because i was so uh, i just i couldn't get 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 around the fact that he was this guy was running miles in the woods i forgot about the squad car and what what happened there yeah but obviously he comes across the the dilapidated shack that jason's been living in and growing up in and uh it's disgusting in there and he's you know he's kind of investigating and looking around and also, this dude's got a gun in, in a holster on his side. Mm-hmm. And not one time during this entire encounter does he, like, put his hand on his hip or, like, even draw the weapon. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, like why wouldn't you do that? Like, he's clearly paranoid and freaked out. And then he opens the door. We don't know what he's looking at. But clearly, he sees the Mrs. Voorhees shrine and there might be a few bodies in there of, of mm. some sort. And then he's like, Oh my God. And then I done, I, I, I cringe. Cause I don't know why, but this, his death just seemed like it just hit me when, when Jason puts the back of a hammer yeah. into the back of his head, and just sticks it in there. I'm like Ugh, gross. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> cringe makes me cringe. Just the thought of it, but they show it. And that's the best part of that. Yes. Scene. You know, yep. you see something like that, again, is implied and you know what's happening, but you maybe, maybe hear it. But man, yeah, they showed it and that made it hurt even more. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like it's pretty like a pretty typical plot line of like there's a police officer and he's like, you know, he's kind of like sniffing this trail and he, he, he finally figures it out and knows that there's danger. And then he's just yeah. dispatched like right away. Yep. And that's supposed to be frustrating to the audience member. And it is. It was. <laughs> yeah. So uh the cop's dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, he got what he had coming. Yep. You, know, you got like, you got a gun on your hip and you got backup. Use it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Oh, All and right. I'm stopped. I'm just I'm I'm stopped on that scene where the shot is from behind his shoulder in the in the squad car and Jason's running across the road. And that just that still shot of that scene in that movie is is creepy in itself. Yes, this, this blur of a guy, and he's got the sack over his head at that point. Oh, does he? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, maybe he's had it the whole time. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe just. Yeah, I, maybe I, I shouldn't assumed. I'm just saying, if I saw something like that streak across a, a dirt road in the middle of the woods, I'm not getting out of my car. And if no. I do, if I do, my gun is drawn and backups on the way. I'm not leaving until backup shows up. I was just about to ask you that question. I was going to say, like, both of us we've never been police officers or in the military or anything, you know, training, never had encounters or training like this before. So I can't obviously speak for like people that have been in those roles where like they, like they're heroes. They have to spring into action. Um, And maybe I could train to do that. But like in a situation like this, like you're totally right. Like I would not just like, I feel like it was a knee jerk reaction for him to just get out of the car and run. Yeah, it felt like, yeah, it just felt like there was zero thought. It was just like pure instinct to just squirrel and then run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, I don't know. Boy's dead now, so yep, what can you do? You earned it. <laughs> you earned your death, kid. <laughs> All right, our last character here. We got Jason Voorhees, played by Steve Dash and Warrington Gillette. So, Warrington Gillette Oop. only played Oop. him 
at the end of the film in that sequence we talked about where he breaks through the glass and you see him with all the makeup on. Oh, that's the only scene with Warrington Gillette. Now, before I get into the little description about Jason here, uh, Steve Dash hates Warrington Gillette because Warrington Gillette at conventions and in interviews basically talks like he shot the entire movie as Jason as kind of kind of steals his thunder a little bit. So uh, he basically said he's like, if I ever saw him in person, I'd punch him in the face. Like, wow. Yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. So um, he talked about him being a baby about like when he put the makeup on. So first off, he was supposed to play Jason the entire time, but said that the role was like too physical. Like he couldn't do all the running and all the all the stunts and everything. And Steve Hmm. Dash was a stuntman. So he was used to all that. And so Steve Dash did all of that. And at the end, when he had all that makeup on, I guess all he did was like complain about the amount of makeup that was on him for how long it took and everything. So, yeah, not a lot of glowing reviews about this Warrington Gillette guy. Good riddance. So, um, but anyways, Jason Voorhees makes his first uh, adult physical appearance in the series of Friday the 13th in part two. He is a legendary deformed son of Pamela Voorhees, who is believed to have drowned in Crystal Lake years ago. Jason is portrayed as a menacing, vengeful figure, vengeful figure wearing a burlap sack over his head. His presence and actions drive much of the film's horror. Um, we've obviously kind of talked about it a little bit um, through some of the other characters, but we can both agree that very imposing, uh, absolutely terrifying in this film, just a backwoods guy that's gone crazy and he's, he's killing these youths. And I, I, I can agree with you to say that when it's missing the element of the hockey mask, it's maybe not as iconic, but in 2009, in the beginning of that film, when the first group is in there, they have Jason wearing the burlap sack. And I remember telling him, I was like, it was cool when he got the hockey mask eventually, but he was so fucking freaky with the burlap sack. Cause there were some shots of him just standing in the woods with the only thing illuminating him was like the moonlight. And it was just something so freaky about encountering a man like that. And I just, when I go back and I watch this film now, it just terrifies me even more. Just like the simplicity of like yeah. a, pil- a pillowcase over his head. Yeah. I mean, it's everyone's worst nightmare getting chased through the woods by a guy with a sack over his head. You're, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, for me, it's when you're introduced to the character and to the franchise, like I was with him wearing the mask, then for me, like I said, there was no going backwards and, and I can appreciate how he's presented in this part too, you know, with the sack over his head. And, and there's this scene I'm watching right now where at towards the end where Jenny's running in, she finds the, the shack in the woods and she just busts through the door and behind her is the one window in the shack and you can see him yep. running up. I mean, that gives me the chills, just that one little scene. And a yep. lot of it has to do with, yeah, the sack that's over his head and how he's presenting. Yeah, and, and, and there is, like, a sense of, like, youthfulness to Jason. I think he's only supposed to be, like, in his, what, like, late, probably the same age as those counselors, probably, like, early 20s, and I not much it. older than that. And yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's always been, like, this, and I, I mentioned it in the Halloween 2 uh, film as well, like, people have talked about, like, oh, is, does, does Michael Myers have this thing, like, where he doesn't, like, there's like this like sex element where like he, he doesn't like it when he sees people like engaging in sexual activity. And so he wants to like punish them. And is it, is it because he's some type of like deviant of, of some sort? And cause I mean, Michael's is, Michael is more of a peeping Tom than, 
than Jason. But then there's also like that same, you can ask the same question about Jason, especially like in some of the other films. Cause that's like, whenever he's encountering people, it seems like that's what they're doing. And he, he, he tends to, to kind of watch for a little bit. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I mean, can you blame the guy? He, <laughs> he's a cast off that lives alone in the woods and his only strength is murdering people. And if that, you know, if that's what the people you're murdering are doing, then you might as well take a peek before you get to work. <laughs> Guess you can't blame the guy, huh? He, that needs material to go home with at night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you were to, if you were to rank the burlap sack Jason on like a scale of like all the Jasons, all the masks, like the most frightening, the most you know maybe strength wise, intelligence wise, like where would he rank? on on a scale for you you know it's strange as we're as we're going through this discussion tonight i think i made it clear up front that you know the mask wins for me the hockey mask and now as we're as we've been talking and discussing this movie i've been you know I've, i got it on youtube and i'm kind of sliding through the timer on it and i'm finding different scenes and going back i'm finding it a little more terrifying going through it again tonight than than when i watched it a couple nights ago for the first time since I was a kid, really. Um, and yeah, I got it frozen on that scene that I was talking about earlier where Jenny finds the cabin. She she walks in and the window behind her, you can see him running up to the cabin with that mask on. And that's what's illuminated in the darkness of the night. And yeah, it's terrifying, man. I mean, but to, to answer your question, how where does it rank? I mean, it's just so different than the hockey mask that I don't think it's comparable. I don't think it's apples to apples, right? Mm-hmm. It's two completely different presentations of the same murderer. And so I think I, I, I appreciate it for what it is, but I set it aside and appreciate the hockey mask for what it is because they're two completely different ways to present the same murderer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's fair. And I say, but then on that same question, you know, with the hockey mask, the hockey mask changes every, every um, movie that it's in, right? Yep. And so among among those, the different hockey masks, yeah, I th- there's definitely ones that, that make him look more terrifying than others. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, I would probably put this up there with, it's, it's hard, it's like apples and oranges, like you said, with the burlap sack and then the hockey mask. But yeah, for some reason, I mean, this, this movie is near and dear to my heart. So I yeah, put I, it up there for me. I get it. But like I said earlier, man, I really wish that I could go back in time and watch this part two movie with no recollection or no um, knowledge of the hockey mask even existing as part yeah. of the character, because that would make it just, you know, that would be who he is and you have nothing to compare it to, you know? I hear you, man. Well, you know, on that note, I think we've, I think that's the end of the entire character list. Whew, I need a, I need a cigarette after that. That was uh, exhaustive. <laughs> hey, good job, man. You nailed thanks. it. Yeah. Thanks for, that's, uh, for that's a lot to, to to the discussion and everything too absolutely this is fun i like it so uh i just have a few key scenes we'll go through here before we get to the the final stretch of the episode but um some of this stuff we've kind of talked about uh before with some of the characters like i said we cover around 80 to 85 percent of the film just by talking about the about the characters and this kind of cleans up uh some of the rest of the stuff but well you ready to, to hop into the key scenes real quick let's do it yeah so I have, uh, and this is no like particular order, 
or anything, but I put like Alice's nightmare and uh, her death just because it's so surprising because it's the final girl from the last film. But the film begins with Alice Hardy, the survivor for the first film, experiencing a traumatic nightmare about her past encounter with Pamela Voorhees. The scene sets the tone for the movie and establishes the connection between the two films. And Alice's returning is the returning character, and she meets a tragic fate early in the movie. Her encounter with an unknown assailant at the time is revealed to be Jason Voorhees. is a shocking and suspenseful moment that marks the beginning of the new horrors at the camp. Yeah, we talked about this when we talked about her character. Is like now it's like where does this movie go? Because it's almost like they're setting up like a like she was going to be the main character and that she was yeah. she's going to be in it for a long time and then they pulled. Well, I mean, this is they they did it first, but like I I would refer to it as Drew Barrymore in Scream. It's an opening scene with the main character that you think is going to live, and she's killed within the first ten minutes. That's very like huge in this film. Yeah, absolutely. I I felt like she was, and I'll agree with you with, with what we talked about with her in the very beginning, where her character just wasn't very strong and worthy of this that survive that one lone survivor, right? Right. And so for that reason alone, I think coming into it, I, I've you could kind of feel it happening, see where this was going mm-hmm. for me. And uh, again, glad that it did. <laughs> glad she got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I could have lived with her as the the hero, hero <laughs> in this one as well. Burn all the tapes. I hate this movie. I'm done with this. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we kind of really, we spent a lot of time on her character and talked about that scene a lot. So, uh, we can move on to the next one here, but we could probably, yeah, expand on this a little bit more. But I have the campfire tale. I love this scene. So it's the one. Of, it's it's Paul gathers the group around the campfire to tell the chilling legend of Camp Crystal Lake, also known as Camp Blood. This scene provides context for the characters and builds tension as they become aware of the camp's gruesome history. So obviously, Paul, like I said, is playing like the Steve Christie of this film, where a lot of the locals are like, "Why are you like?" you know, reopening this camp. He's not reopening a camp. He's just holding a training for, right. for, for counselors, but they're worried because it's so close to town. Even the cops, like you should have been in the next County. This is way too close to what happened five yeah. years ago. I think, I think that's the timeline is that Alice died two months after the events of the first film. And then this film with Paul and Ginny and all of them is five years after the first film so to him he's like well shit that's already happened the killer's been killed there's been no signs of jason you know it's all safe but he knows that there's like it's like a it's like bigfoot it's like a legend in the town and the kids probably know that coming in and he just wants to kind of like drown out all that noise and all the foolery that might come with the the training this summer and just tell this really compelling story about the legend of Jason Voorhees and scare the kids and then really just kind of in a fun way. Yeah. I mean, well said, you know, and like we said, how iconic that scene is and how, how necessary I think it was to, to have it talked about that early in the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But they were all aware of the legend, the lore and behind it. And the fact that it was just that it wasn't real. It wasn't, he's not a real person he, or he was, but um, yeah, I just felt like it was a, it was a great way to kind of kick off their, their time out at the lake. Yeah. And Paul's obviously like, he plays like this, like realist, like he wants to be grounded in reality at all times. So even when at the end of that story, he's like, he does say like Jason drowned in camp crystal lake, however long ago. And like, 
well, 19, 1957, 1958, whenever it was. So he's like, he's long gone. He's dead. I want to hear anything else about it. And I do kind of feel like all the camp counselors throw caution to the wind after that. They're just like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like that's, you know, like we just thought that was like kind of like Bigfoot. Like it's fun to entertain the idea, but we don't actually think he's out there. But it, <clears throat> it's interesting that Ginny, our final girl, main character, you know, she's supposed to be one of the leaders with Paul running this training. And she's kind of like, I don't know. There's like some missing information here. Like, are you sure that he's actually gone? And she like, you know, she has those conversations at the bar when they're all drunk about it, you know, talking about it, like wanting to take it more seriously. And, you know, that's why she's so, she's so aware. She has like such a high, high intelligence for a final girl because the entire time she's like, it's not that she knows that something's off, but she's just kind of like, yeah, that story, like, there's more to it. Yeah, she, you know, that 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 was probably his biggest mistake because you did, they did let their guard down, right? Yeah, like, so, you know, and so if he would have maybe maybe come come to the fire with a little more seriousness about, hey, this is a true risk for us being out here, you know, keep keep your eyes peeled, you know, keep your head on a swivel. Right. Don't, don't turn your back to any windows or doors. And maybe, <laughs> and maybe all these people still be alive, but then it wouldn't be as as good a movie, right? Right. Yeah. No. It, but yeah, exactly. Jenny, Jenny definitely seemed to have an intuition that the rest of them did not, um, and that that's why she was the the lone survivor, right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. And we'll get we'll get into that as one of the final key scenes here. But uh, any, anything else to add on that? I think we kind of talked about that ad nauseum now. No, I think I think we're good on that one. Yeah. Okay, so next up, I have Jason's introduction. So Jason Voorhees makes his first physical appearance in the series, revealing his disfigured face and ominous presence. His initial appearance is a chilling moment that sets the stage for the relentless pursuit of the counselors. Now, I consider this when he springs up from the bed after killing Jeff and Sandra and kills Vicky. That would be like what his like. Obviously, we've seen him in the shadows and just like his his arms and his feet like. Kind of like in the first film where it's almost like a whodunit, but you it's implied that it's Jason Voorhees. And I feel like it's confirmed once he pops out of the bed there and with the burlap sack on and he kills Vicky. And it's just so completely terrifying. And then obviously with the cutting back to the bar with them talking about Jason, it's like, yep, that's for, for sure Jason. And holy smokes, it's like we mentioned before, just this backwoods maniac that's that's just terrifying in so many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, all right. Rewind. What What's the question? What are you What are you asking me about this scene? Oh, I was I was just I was just kind of going through the key scene. Just Just it's not, I guess it's not even really a key scene. It's just Jason's introduction to the franchise, like the first time like, he's the main killer. I guess the key scene would be him, us seeing him like full body for the first time with the burlap mm-hmm. sack coming out coming springing out of the bed yeah yeah the big reveal right yeah i I guess actually you know what there is a question with okay when you were watching when he sprung out of the bed were you surprised by his appearance like not with him physically being in the film but like with the overalls and the burlap sack like keep the hockey mask out of mind like what were you expecting from the killer there again it's hard to say because you you already have this picture in your mind of what he looks like based on you know, all the movies that we've watched. And so yeah. and that's why I keep saying it, not to beat a dead horse, but I wish I could go back in time and see this movie for the first time with no knowledge of what comes after it. 
you know, but, and I, and I, and I try to watch it that way. And so, yeah, I mean, he's, it's terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. No one wants to encounter someone that, that looks like that in the dark, in the woods at night. You know, I don't know that it's what I expected. I don't know that I had an expectation, but they did a good job of presenting him in a terrifying way. If you ask me. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's what about you. Did you have an expectation of what did you paint a picture in your head about what he might look like? Well, I think the first time ever watching it, like, like I said, I, I, I think I was expecting a hockey mask. I think I was expecting, I don't know, just like something other than a burlap sack. Like that was definitely surprising to me. And like, maybe, yeah, honestly, like a, like maskless with a, like a, just the deformed face I thought maybe would have been something they went with, but he looked a little bit too much like sloth. And this came out before the Goonies, so maybe that's where they got inspiration about for sloth from. But could be, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about it in the episode earlier, but uh, yeah, the burlap sack is just so freaky and unsettling. <laughs> you know, it's it it just like it shrouds the character in total mystery. I feel like like. Like what, like, why does he have that mask on? Like, why is he doing the things that he's doing? Like, you know, like there's that, there's that motivation factor too. Cause it's like, you know, in the beginning he kills Alice and that was an understandable kill because she killed his mother. Now it's like, he's just aimlessly killing or senselessly killing these camp counselors. And it's like, well, maybe he has the same motivations as his mother did of just like, I'm, well, he didn't die. I guess he just, I don't know. It's like hard. Cause it's like, yeah, they're having sex. They're indulging, like you know, sex and drugs and whatever. These delinquent activities, in quotes. Uh-huh. And maybe he's like, they need to be punished. Maybe that's, that's his motivation. It's something that he can't. It's normal, right? Yeah, that's normal people do, and he can't. He he can't be a part of that. Clearly, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's um, a lot of resentment, I suppose, for just people that are able to live a normal life. Um, you know, going back to the burlap side, I just want to make a make a another comment on that and how you know he presented himself i found myself throughout the movie caught between wanting to see what was behind the mask or the the sack and not wanting you know what i mean yeah like because you know it was so terrifying with him having the 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 bag over his head i didn't want to be disappointed by what i saw behind it and then when at the end when they finally do show him in that slow motion scene busting through the window like bam payoff pay you know it, it was worth the wait yeah because it was yeah it was hideous <laughs> it's like no, a nightmare you know I, yeah i totally agree um yeah i think we got only like two three more scenes here left but nice. uh so the next one it's just the, like it's part of that final confrontation with with Ginny and and paul and jason so it's when they get back from the from the bar and they're they're you know exploring the the main cabin and Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason attacks attacks Paul, and then that chase ensues. And Ginny's resourcefulness and wits are put to the test as she tries to outsmart and survive the uh, relentless killer. So um, we probably don't need to go over the the cabin scene since we kind of talked about it a lot when when we talked about Ginny and Paul's characters. But uh, yeah, maybe that like that chase scene a little more. I, I wonder how long do you think that actually took? Because I remember there was a scene where like they were running and running and running around. And then like, it just kind of like cut to the moon and then it cut back to her, like 
running to that cabin. I'm like, I wonder how long they had been like playing this cat and mouse game for. It felt like a while. It felt like a long time. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, cause it went from, from the counselor cabin out to Jason's cabin and then back, yeah. you know, right. However far that is, I mean, according to the officer that ran it, it's a long ways. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting fucking drive by right now. Yeah. And then there's that scene where Jenny's running uh, before she gets to Jason's cabin and she encounters the creek right there. Mm-hmm. Kind of stops and takes a breather and leans back into the ground and, and then she gets up and continues running. And You know, that right there kind of says a lot about, you know, I know you, obviously your adrenaline's going, but um, that might say a lot about how long that actually went on. Yeah, dude, her endurance is crazy. Yep. Being able to run around like that. and um, Well, but... yeah, with fear motivating you, I guess you'll run forever. Yeah, that's true. But she wasn't afraid to confront him either because, like, she need him in the in the balls when she, like, that's what I'm saying. She's super smart. Like, she ran and yep. she hid in that bush and then he was coming and she need him in the balls. and kept... Like, that's bold. Like, she could have just kept running. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But she knew she was smart. She knew, yeah, this guy's a maniac and he's trying to kill me, but he's just a man. He's got balls. And if I hit him, he's going down. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's no the, two ways about it. The one scene I didn't like in this like sort of final confrontation was uh, when she's in the cabin and she like comes out because she thinks he left and he's on top of the fucking uh, that wooden chair and it yeah. on him and he falls over like I mean, not only that, but he just seemed like very like like he bumbled around a little bit, like kind of like a Three Stooges type thing a little bit. Yeah, it's a little comical, and that that kind of took away from the the terror of it all. I agree with that 100%. I forgot about that. Yeah, so, and then, like, okay, another thing, Ginny's super smart, but when she, like, pulled the chainsaw out and, like, like got him in the arm or whatever, she just, like, I think, I mean, the chainsaw turned off, so I don't know if it, like, got jammed or something, but I mean, she hit him with a chair, but dude, turn around and grab that fucking pitchfork and put put it in the dude's neck or something. Yeah, yeah, you gotta finish the guy. But yeah, then like he she runs to the cabin like we talked about, and then that that creepy scene where she gets in there, you can see him running in the distance from the window, oh. and then she she gets into the into the shrine room and like very reluctantly puts on Mrs. Voorhees's uh, sweater. And it's like, I don't even know how she, like, honestly, if we didn't get the background of her character as being, like, a child, like, going to school to be a child psychologist, like, this scene would have been, like, so far-fetched. Like, how did she even come up with that? But it's, like, it's so fitting. It's so fitting that she, like, put that on. And she's like, yep, I'm going to, like, fool him. And it worked. It For, for, like, the most part, it worked. Like, he was listening to her. She's like, like, mommy is pleased. And, like, all this stuff. And, and. And then he like got down on, on his knees and, you know, she's still talking to him. And, and then she, I can't remember if she had like the machete or something, but she was going to like, she was going to get him. But then her big mistake was she kind of moved over a little bit and he saw his mom's head and he's like, Oh, that's not my mom. Yeah. Well, and you can't, you know, it was a last ditch effort of desperation. She knew she was cornered and this was probably going to be it for her. And, you know, quick goat thinking she put on the sweater and acted like mommy and it worked and, and her mistake was uh, swiveling her hips a little too far when she pulled back on the, <laughs> you know, and it didn't work. Yeah, she needed as much power as possible. That's a big boy. Right? Yeah, she needed to chat or hack away at that one. But then obviously she's kind of like, he blocks it with like a, his pickaxe or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And then that's when Paul fucking comes back and we're like, oh, Paul, you're still alive. And he's all banged <laughs> up and shit. And then he gets in a, you know, hand fight with Jason and gets like, there are times where it's like, oh, Paul's like, he's holding his own. He might, he might get, you know, the advantage here. And then Jason would just use that like brute strength on him and just like yeah. threw him to the ground. I was like, oh God. And I thought he was like already hacking away at Paul. I couldn't remember if like, if if Paul got hacked at all or anything in that time, maybe Jason was just like punching him or something. But this is this is when the slow mo comes in and and Ginny grabs the machete and she like, which is also kind of funny. She like chops him in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Would that kill someone? I don't think so, unless it was just uh, you know the result of a bad aim, bad shot. I mean, as smart as she is and as resourceful as she is, she's still. A, a, a tiny female that clearly doesn't have a whole lot of physical strength, you know, and yeah. your machetes aren't light, you know, no. you swing that thing, you better have some control and some power behind it. That's so, a good point. I mean, I mean, she stuck it in him pretty far. Like, I mean, it probably went in like, like four or five inches in the shoulder. Like it, that's going to knock anybody out. That's that going to knock anybody out. down. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to kill them, but it's definitely going to put them, put them down for a long while they're gonna go into shock like they're probably gonna i mean there's like you know fucking probably arteries and shit that she hit that you know a normal person's gonna bleed out from that probably right um so yeah like i mean watching this and you know the first few times like i'm just like oh yeah he's for sure dead this last time i mean it sucks because like i already know what happens that he comes back but uh yeah now watching i'm like yeah he's probably not dead i mean he's probably like incapacitated for a while but He's going to get back up at some point. Yeah, he's Jason. I mean, he, 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 you can put bullets in him and he's going to get back up, right? That's what he yep. does. He's got that inhumane or inhuman uh, strength that you see uh, in every movie. Yeah, so uh, this brings us to our last key scene, but it's the closing scene where the movie concludes with a chilling and unexpected final scene that leaves the audience with a sense of lingering dread and uncertainty setting the stage for future installments in Friday the 13th franchise when Jason Voorhees busts through the cabin window and grabs Ginny and the screen flashes to Ginny in a hospital or in a uh, gurney getting uh, put into the back of an ambulance asking where Paul is at and the ambulance drives off and the movie just ends. <laughs> Very abrupt it kind of felt like right there at the end. Yeah, and we talked about that earlier and the confusion behind all of that, how it happened. And I, I don't want to believe that because I'm, I'm watching it again here, the, the scene where he busts through the window from behind her. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to believe that that was a dream, that, that that didn't really happen. Right. But then also the dog appears at the door. Remember when Paul opens the door and they think yep. it's Jason at the door and it's a dog. So maybe it is a dream. I don't know. But then it's like, what happened to Jason? Jason did indeed jump through this window and attack her. How did he get, how did she get out of that? How did both of them get out of that? And what happened to Jason? She's just, now all of a sudden the sun comes up and she's on a stretcher and the cops are there, the ambulance is there. Like who, right. who even called the ambulance to get out there? See, and that's why I'm in the boat of, that was a dream sequence. She passed out in Paul's arms while he was carrying her back. He somehow radioed the police and they got there. And he was taken to the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. So that's what I want to believe. That seems like a happier ending. I'm always for a happy ending because I like Paul. I don't want to think that he's dead. But um, 
yeah, dude, that's that's uh, that's the movie that that would most certainly set up uh, a whole bunch of sequels from this film. Absolutely, yeah, and that's how all of them end. It was just so open ended. You know something. You know something that is coming next, which is great. You know, awesome, dude. Well, now we're gonna get down to the final couple sections here. Shouldn't take us too long, but um, just thinking about this film, how would you compare it to other films in the horror genre at that time? Like, I kind of obviously put Friday Thirteenth, Halloween, and Nightmare on Elm Street all in the same bin. This one's super high up on my sequel list, and uh, I don't really think it falls. I mean, it was a saturated market, but I don't really think it like gets lost in the shuffle with other horror films. Like, I I do think that it, it's a solid film that actually stands out in the slasher genre yeah i mean i'd agree with that and um yeah there's really nothing to compare it to i mean you got michael myers who's at the time that same time period going hot and heavy with what he's doing but his is so different like you know he's running around the hospital hallways and um terrorizing people on halloween night that's his night that's his jam yeah. that's what he does so yeah this one kind of separates itself from the pack and and um i'd rank it right up there i mean I don't even like to compare it to the Nightmare on Elm Street series because that came along so much later. Right. And for, for me, you know, not, I mean, I know that's a different movie and a different discussion, but uh, Freddy Krueger just always seems so clumsy to me and just so like, I don't know. I, I could never take his, um, his fright seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, so definitely. For me, so for me, it doesn't compare. I don't, I don't see those two as, as comparable. Well, he talks and he's cracking jokes. Yeah, yeah, he's comedic and he's clumsy. Um, yeah, he's got knives on his hands. That that sucks for anybody that runs into him. <laughs> but he's not all that all that scary. But anyway, that's getting off track. But um, yeah, it ranks right up there for me. Um, but I think it's all perspective, and I think for me, how I was introduced to the series, um, it's not number one for me. Yeah, uh, because I, you know, like I said, I were I worked backwards with the Friday the Thirteenth movies and. Um, for the, if you consider those first two, first three, then yeah, it top it tops the list for me in those first three. Yeah, no, dude, I totally agree. And then, like, I guess another question I have is, did, do you think that this film influenced like any other films that came after it? Um, you know, obviously, I think it's easy to say that like Black Christmas and like the original Halloween that that kind of inspired this film. But for me, this felt like this sequel because this actually came out um a little bit before halloween 2 came out where halloween 2 feels a little bit more like a prototypical slasher than the original so i i actually do think that friday the 13th part 2 influenced a ton of slashers that came throughout the 80s yeah i would agree with that i didn't know that halloween 2 came out on the heels of this for some reason i thought the halloween movies came before well the original came out in 78. Uh, the Halloween original came out in 78. Hall- or then Friday the 13th came out in 1980. And then this one came out, this Friday the 13th Part 2 came out in the summertime, I believe, in 1981. And then Halloween 2 came out during October or something in yeah, 81. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, obviously, like, it could be one of those things where like when it came out everyone's like well shit we were already writing something similar to this like and ours is already finished up it's just i don't know i think it's just happenstance yeah but i think i think the hockey mask came because of the michael myers mask yeah they needed something iconic 
with this franchise. They're like this guy running around with a burlap sack. And even when we show him without it and how menacing and ugly that he is, it's not iconic. It's just a, it's just a rough looking dude. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think, you know, when you talk about this movie influencing others, um, I think that Halloween probably influenced Friday or the, the, the introduction of the mask into the Friday 13th series. For sure. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. So here we are. We're at the, uh, the last section here. So let's just summarize our thoughts on the film. We kind of talked about it before, but after kind of going through everything, have you changed your mind on the film at all after doing a deep dive, uh, you know, on, on Friday 13th part two, or is it still, you know, hold up for you? It does. It, it holds up even more now that we've talked about it and hearing your enthusiasm about it and talking about why it tops your list as a sequel. Um, yeah, I think I have a, and I think I said this earlier in the night where, you know, I'm, I'm going through and flipping through the scenes on YouTube here as we're talking and, and revisiting some of those scenes as we're talking about them a couple of days after watching the movie in its entirety. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely found myself with a, a deeper appreciation for, for how the movie unfolded for sure. Yeah. On, yeah. Like I said, I, I agree with you. You know, it's one of my childhood favorites and I revisit it quite often and it holds up as one of the best uh, slasher sequels that, that I can, that I can remember. So um, it's also very nostalgic for me from, you know, the times that I watched it on, on TV when I was younger. So yeah, definitely still holds up for me as well. Oh yeah. And that nostalgic factor. Yeah. When that kicks in that that's hard to beat with anything. Absolutely. All right. So here's a fun part of the podcast. We have to give a rating and whether or whether or not we would recommend this film. So on the rating scale is one out of 10 and every film we change what that scale would be or like what represents the scale. So for Halloween, we did like scalpel for Halloween too. We did out of 10 scalpels and like uh, (laughs) stuff like that. So for this one, Rob, what do you think about doing out of 10 burlap sacks? I was just going to say we should do burlap sacks <laughs> or, or how many, 10 holes in the burlap sack or one hole in the burlap sack. <laughs> how many eye holes do we get? <laughs> right. So here, I'll, I'll go ahead and then I'll let you. Okay. I would give this, I would give this an eight out of 10 burlap sacks. Ooh. It is up there for me. I gave Halloween two. I think I believe I gave it a seven and a half. I actually like this a little bit more than, than Halloween two. And Honestly, it's the nostalgic factor that I have with this film. Now, I would definitely recommend this film to any slasher enthusiast out there. I don't think you have to be a fan of the Friday the 13th franchise to enjoy this film. I think it's a solid slasher film. So I definitely recommend this film, not even to a slasher fan, but just an overall horror fan. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I'm recommending it to anyone who might be interested but I don't know that I would rank it as high as you did. And I don't know that I can compete with that nostalgic factor that you're talking about, because I know I have that same, I factor that into the same um, with part six for me. So right. I, overall, I'd have to give it, you're going to hate me, Matt. I'm going to give it six burlap sacks. <laughs> That's not bad. That's still <laughs> above average. It's above average. 50%. Yeah. That's not I, bad. Yeah. Six out of 10. And I definitely recommend it. Awesome, man. Well, this has been so much fun to to do this episode with you. I want to thank you for for wanting to participate and, and talk through this film with me. 
yeah, Matt, this has been a blast. I, I enjoyed this more than I thought I would. <laughs> yeah, so just just a few podcast housekeeping stuff real quick. Okay. I want to thank all the listeners for for tuning in. Um, the, you know, this is the passion of mine, but obviously it makes it even more fun to see, you know, when I look at my analytics, I see that people are actually downloading these episodes and you guys are, are enjoying this. I know I've been super busy, so sometimes it's a little sporadic. I don't really have a set schedule, so... Uh, thank you so much for the loyal listeners that stuck with me and have continued to listen. Like I said, we have so many different episodes coming out in the month of October. We have Halloween 2, this episode, Terrifier 2, and we'll have more in the coming months. But thank you guys so much. And anybody who is a new listener, um, I really hope that you uh, have been enjoying this episode. And uh, I highly encourage you to check out any other episodes on uh, the podcast feed. I think we have around 25, 26 episodes um, out now. So we're just going to continue to build that library content. And uh, if you want more content from the film room, I highly recommend that you pop on over to our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and TikTok. We're probably the most active on TikTok. I uh, post a bunch of clips and highlights from our podcast episodes. So if you don't want to listen to you know, a full episode, or if you kind of want to just like get a taste of what you might be getting yourself into pop on over there. Uh, we have a bunch of funny, really, uh, really entertaining stuff on there with crazy uncle Seth Keller. I'm sure I'll put one up there, uh, from this episode with, with Rob, but, uh, yeah, definitely go ahead and do that. Uh, if you are wanting exclusive content from the film room, then you should pop on over to our Patreon account at the film room horror where you can get exclusive bonus content and you can help support the show. So for as little as $1, you heard me right, right there, $1 per month, you can unlock content from the film room that would be exclusive. So that's anything from blogs, movie reviews, you know, pre-recording, shooting the breeze with my guests on, on the episodes. I have a Patreon exclusive episode on that feed and I'm also working on a Halloween fan script right now that I'm going to start publishing uh, certain sections of that. So you guys can go ahead and read that. Let me know if if you're enjoying that, but I'm trying to build that as much as possible. I think I have six patrons. So I want to thank those patrons for, for supporting the show and supporting me and allowing me to do what I do. And uh, obviously it's not a requirement, but it's, it's obviously appreciated if you were to hop on over there and then you enjoy this content and you want to support the show. Lastly, I would like to say this is just kind of a small ask, but if you are enjoying the show, the best way to promote the show and to help us out is to rate and review on whichever podcasting platform that you're on. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please leave a rating and a review for this podcast. That is the best way to promote the show and to get it to more people so that they can listen to this content. All right. A mouthful, man. Yeah, it's it's a lot. But like I said, Rob, I enjoyed this. This was so much fun. I'd love to have you on for a future episode. Any anything that you'd be interested in uh, in discussing. So I'll definitely be back. But I I really do appreciate you having me and and trusting me with it. And I can I know this is important to you and I love your podcast and I can I can hear the passion and enthusiasm when you speak. And I, you know, and for that reason, I learned a lot tonight about the thir- Friday the 13th franchise in general and about this movie that we discussed. So thank you for that, man. I'll definitely be back. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. So 
All right. Well, I think that concludes this episode. So like always, folks, until next time. (laughs) Good night. Thank you.